0: Ready? Right. Just in middle of the field, 45-50. Greengrass in front of him, leaving Lions in his wake. I am Jeff Joniak. again. Blitz is on. <laughs> Down he goes, Oscar. What was it like playing for Coach Dicko? Uh, I don't want to answer any questions like that. 61 yards. A Sunday stroll for Justin Fields. And take it and and
1: it Now. Bears Etc. Brought to you by Miller Lite with the voices of the Bears Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer
0: By this time next week, Bears will be knee deep in their preparation for the Packers. Defending champion Kansas City will open the season against Detroit and we'll be figuring out how the Bears will beat the Packers to open the 104th season in Bears history. Welcome in episode 12 of Bears Etc. with Super Bowl winning Bear. Tom Thayer I'm Jeff Joniak. Brought to you by Miller Lite. Tastes like Miller Time Chicago. Uh, Tom how you feeling, number one, as uh, we wrap up yet another week closer to the kickoff?
2: You know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, but I did just send a message to former Super Bowl MVP and Hall of Famer Richard Dent because this weekend, Tennessee State plays Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Oh so my. I sent a message, friendly. How many points you giving given me, Richard? I'm waiting to hear back from him, but when you think about the preparations for the NFL, you know, the excitement of the first game of the season, it kind of starts the momentum and then it just continues to go downhill from there. And then it gives you an opportunity to get excited for one of the biggest games in the rivalries that you've ever, that I've ever played in in my lifetime. And, um, I don't think the players need to be reminded of it. I don't think they need to be taught of it. Like Matt Deberfue said at the podium today, if you're a dedicated NFL guy, then you're all in and you know about rivalries and you know about their role and their importances.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's crazy to think that you don't play them again till week 18. So this is a vitally important game, no matter how you slice it. Oh, I mean, it's going to be two different teams, and
2: it's not really an exaggeration. When you look at the amount of time that there is in between the first game of the year and the last game of the year, and then the intensity of the rivalry in but what both teams are searching for at the last game of the year, it's really going to be interesting this year because the enormity of the rivalry is almost going to be
0: two separate seasons of its own. All right, here's Matt Eberflus on his roster now. 26 new members of this team since the first of the year. What it all means.
1: No, it's. A, I look at it as opportunity. You know, we brought a lot of good guys in. The one thing about every one of those guys we acquired uh, through the course, and you're right, it's, it's, a, it's half or maybe more, I don't know, but... It's uh, it's you know those guys all love football you know so it was an easy easy fit for those guys to gel with the guys that we had currently on the roster you know so you go through free agency you add those guys and you go through the draft add those guys and then we keep you know kept adding a couple more guys as as of late. And they all love football. So the culture right there, if a guy loves football, he's going to love his teammates. He's going to love to practice. He's going to love to prepare for games. And that's what we already have in the locker room. So it's a pretty easy fit.
0: All right, Tom, we know change happens no matter what because a third of the roster usually gets churned up and changed because of draft and undrafted free agency. Then you throw on 12 of the 16 players in the practice squad are new to the building as well. Uh, That's a lot of change for a second year in a row Uh, He and his staff used to it in year one. Does that bode well for year two?
2: It does, but I think the conversation started yesterday when Ryan Poles and Ian Cunningham met the media because they talked about the change in the roster and how they feel a lot more confident at certain positions, the depth of this team, the athleticism, and where it's going. Now, you kind of give all the groceries to the head coach <laughs> and he puts together the meal. And so, um, they, you know, that's one of Bill Parcell's old sayings, but it, it is true. You know, Ryan Poles has put together this group of players. And I'm excited to see some of these guys that have come aboard and your Tremaine Edmonds and your T.J. Edwards and your DeMarcus Walkers, D.J. Moore, so on and so forth. So I'm excited to see this new cast of characters because I think a lot of these veterans that have NFL experience, they bring a different intensity when they walk in the locker room before the beginning of the regular season. It's a whole different animal because when you walk in that locker room, you're no you know, you're there for a four quarters. You're not there for 10, 12, five plays. It's about, you got to be on the field and you got to play at a high level for the whole game.
0: Nathan Peterman, uh, re-signed to the active roster, Tommy, uh, Matty asked about that and, uh, how important he is to the 53.
1: We're sure glad to have him back. Um, you know, he's really good for that room, you know, him and Justin, you know, learned, you know, the offense together, uh, so to speak. Uh, so they're speaking the same language. Um, so they they understand it really well, and I think it's good to have him in the room.
2: What went into the decision to sign him to the 53 versus practice squad? I know Ryan said yesterday that
0: both were up on the
1: – Yeah, just the, just we wanted to really secure him in that situation, and uh, you know we don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, with uh, who's going to be up for the game, who's going to be the backup. So we'll decide that as we go.
2: Ryan t- Ryan talked about being uh, deciding it, how comfortable you are with Bejean as the number two. What really, from your standpoint as the head coach, what goes into that? What's the big decision as far as having a guy who has no experience in the NFL, has
1: come from Division Two, and yet he's in consideration for the number two guy behind fields? Yeah, just performance. You know, the performance he had in camp and the performance he had during those uh, preseason games. And we like where he is, um, and we like where Nate is. You know, so we're, we're excited to have both those guys and see where they develop to and, uh, and where they go.
2: But would that be a little bit of a leap of faith for, you know, because – Preseason is different from a regular season a game.
1: The game speeds different, a lot of things are different. Sure. Is there a little bit of a leap of faith or unknown as far as t- if you made that decision with Pageon? Um, I would say that uh, you know, you know, we haven't made any decisions yet. So we're 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 still in that process. And uh, but yeah, I mean when you first put a guy out there, like any rookie, like it was Brisker or anybody, you're always, you know, you just kinda don't know, you know, until you know. Now what you can go by is what they practice and how they play and how they perform in practice. And that's all you have. And that's what we always have. You know, and somebody's always, always got to have your first performance. And when they go out there, they'll perform. And they'll do uh, they'll really rely what their what their practice habits are.
0: Well we also heard their questions about, you know, who's the backup now? Is it going to be Peterman? Is it going to be Tyson Bajan? He is not letting us know about that yet. And I just feel he's going to look at that week to week and see where Bajan's growth is coming, uh, who's going to run that scout team, how how he looks doing that and how he stays in his uh, playbook each and every week to be ready.
2: Well, yeah, Matt, talked about all the reference points that you make those judgments by anybody who's in a backup role. How do they answer questions in the meeting? How familiar with the, are they with the installation of the material according to the opponent they're playing? And he talked about how there's a lot less material when you're starting to implement game plans rather than implementing the whole playbook at the beginning of training camp.
0: All right, Jaquan Brisker, any concern? Still not practicing? He'll stay over this Labor Day weekend while players go maybe leave town, go see some of their college football teams. Whatever the case may be, he needs to rehab.
2: My only concern is if he's not dressed on game day. Other than that, if he is dressed on game day, I'm not going to be concerned. I'm not going to be thinking in the back of my mind that he's unprepared for what's about to take place. So if the coaches, the trainers, the whole staff makes the judgment that Jaquan Brisker is ready to go, then Jeff, you and I have to sit up in that booth and call the game as if Jaquan brisker is a hundred
1: percent and ready to go
0: all right here's Eberflus on the status of his second year safety
1: well it's just to wait and see you know how to, how does the rehab go this weekend you know because he's doing something every day he's doing something friday saturday sunday monday and then into tuesday and then we'll see where it goes and again when you get the pads on and start and start cracking and and Doing full speed movements, then we'll we'll see where it is.
0: All right, so that's the latest on Brisker, and it'll be a day to day thing as we work through the week. Next week, when they get back to practice, one other thing he talked about was the arrival of another Golden Domer. As Cole Komet said yesterday, "Town, you can't have too many. <laughs> you can't have too many Domers. Uh, that's for sure." So uh, Khalid Kareem is here, a defensive end from the Indianapolis Colts. Here's what Eberflus likes:
1: saw him play run the run uh, well a couple of times, and also saw his motor. Um, I really liked his motor. Um, It runs hot, and he's a great effort player. Um, He's very physical, so we we like that about him, and uh, we're excited about developing him um, in our system.
0: All right, we watched that kid play. You knew exactly who I was talking about yesterday uh, after watching those Colts practices, there were a couple of players on that defensive line that were very aggressive about the snap, and he was one of them.
2: Yeah, but I like the fact that he jumped 40 foot out of a <laughs> helicopter in Hawaii and he likes to scuba dive because that takes a certain amount of courage that you have to be become comfortable with. And I think a lot of that has to also takes place in a football game. So, yeah, I, I am glad to see depth at the defensive line position I need to see that seven or eight guys that are going to take the field on Sunday and be part of a rotation that can contribute at a high level and I think we're really fortunate to have been at those Indianapolis practices to know exactly how he plays who he is and what he's going to contribute so um, I'm excited to see it and yeah Cole we need more domers and uh, well I don't know if we need more domers but we need the ones that show up to play well.
0: And here is Kareem, what kind of player we should expect to see. Hard worker, you know, I'm going to come in here every day. Um, with that mindset, that I have to, you know, prove why I'm here. just have to earn it, honestly. Um, gritty guy, blue collar, so that's really all I know is hard work. From what you know about the scheme, how do you think you fit best with what they want to do? Um, Honestly, I'm still learning the playbook, but from what I see right now, I feel like I fit pretty well in the system. You know, as long as I can get it down, I'll be good. What's your
2: Labor Day weekend look like having to learn this playbook?
0: Uh, Labor Day weekend? Um, honestly, at this point, I don't know. Um, I was planning on probably going to North Carolina and do some scuba diving, but now I um, don't know. Honestly, I'll probably just go back to Indy, pack my stuff up, and then head back here. That's not the only new player brought in. Trent Taylor, Tom, will be the punt returner in week one. That's the plan anyway. He was brought here after uh, being let go by the Cincinnati Bengals. It surprised him. Started his career with San Francisco. Uh, He was asked a lot about how he secures the football and what is the key to it. And the, the strange questions for me, if I'm him media asking about Velas Jones Jr. Not now. He's competing with Vayles Jones Jr. And trying to get Velas to get back on track to be a punt returner. They're not giving up on him just yet. They're going to keep working him. He'll be the kick returner week one. But as a player, when somebody comes in to take your position – or that position still is backed up by a young player like Velas? those are tough questions to answer, answer for a veteran, isn't it? Yeah, they are. But, you know,
2: Velas Jones Jr., if he had secured every single punt he caught over the last two years, we really wouldn't be talking about bringing in a new punt returner here. Uh, Taylor has got familiarity with uh, Coach Hightower. He's played a lot of center field in baseball, and he understands the flight of a ball in the air in a baseball is a lot smaller, obviously, than a football. But wind conditions inside Soldier Field can affect the flight of the football a lot more. So I'm glad they bring in experience at the punt returning position because every single time the Bears get a chance to get the football, they need to secure the catch and, and give their offense an opportunity.
0: Here's more with Taylor on the reality of the NFL. Yeah, it's a weird feeling because like I don't know anybody in the building. I don't know the offense, but like I have a spot on the team, which is just like a weird feeling right now. But, um, so I'm looking forward to getting to know everybody, um, getting close with the team and learning the playbook and, uh, yeah, we'll be ready to go week one. Apparently had some bad pizza too in his uh, rookie debut against the bears. He said he he was, uh, he had a little Michael Jordan esque situation like Salt Lake city back in the NBA finals. Uh, but yeah, Hey, we encourage you try the pizza. Again, give it another shot here in Chicago. we got great pizza, Tommy. What, what is yours?
2: Where's your go-to? My, my buddy Marco runs a place called Pizza Metro on Division, um, and it's authentic. They're from Italy. It's some of the best pizza. You can order it by the whole pizza or by the slice, and they're rectangular slices, that are cut in uh, six or eight pieces each. And uh, so if you're downtown, you're looking for a unique style of pizza, try it out. It's on the thinner side, so uh, get yourself a couple slices. Nice.
0: Thank you to United Airlines, official airlines of the Chicago Bears. One other nugget on Trent Taylor, Uh, five returns of 20 yards or more last season as a share of the lead in punt returns of that length last season. So the guy uh, did – Play well in that situation, and he will be the guy. Uh, does not know the playbook. He just got dropped down here, and like we said, uh, that's the reality in the National Football League, and he'll spend time this weekend learning that. Tevin Jenkins, Doug Kramer, Tommy to IR. They're going to miss a minimum of the first four games of the season. Uh, you were hopeful when we started this whole thing in episode one that Tevin would remain healthy for the whole season, and you know, it's tough for an offensive lineman, obviously, but. Uh, history of injuries, and he will miss the first four games. H- how do you analyze that then from your perspective on these two guys? Uh,
2: super, super disappointed because at the beginning of the year, talking to one of the reporters, I was saying Tevin Jenkins needs a drama dramaless type of a season where he comes in here, he takes over at left guard, he plays with the strength, the athleticism that, that he's put on display. And I think when you get a chance to play against who, uh, next to a guy like Braxton Jones and whomever's going to play center, I thought Tevin would be the left guard for a long time to come. But I, I think it's some type of freakish injury that happened. Um, no blame to Tevin. But now they're fortunate to have a player as versatile as Cody Whitehair that he can take one giant step to his left Get in a three-point stance and play the position.
0: Game day snacking calls for good foods. Chunky guacamole made with Haas avocados, tomatoes, onions, cilantro, and a squeeze of lime juice. The perfect snack to watch while the Bears win. Score some today at your local grocery store. Game day is guac day. Uh, another interior lineman coming aboard. Another Chicago area kid. We touched on it in episode 11. Dan Feeney comes aboard. Met the media for the first time. You can tell. He is a Chicagoan, Tommy. <laughs> through and through, Here, here's what he did growing up a Bears fan.
2: As a kid, my, my grandma would always put on the Super Bowl shuffle on VHS and make me watch it when she was babysitting me. So that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So that, that those are some of the first memories right there. Uh, growing up, I, I love Walter Payton, just how he ran the ball. I mean, he was just so cool. My grandma loved him, so it was just – She was his favorite player, or he was her favorite player. And uh, I just naturally kind of adapted him as well. And just watching the highlights from when he was in his heyday,
0: it was just incredible. And one thing more, uh, it was mentioned by Justin Jones that Dan Feeney enjoys beer. So uh, he (laughs) he confirmed it in this soundbite as well. Uh, Beer drinker, I mean, shoot, anything that's cold, really. (laughs) Mostly Miller, course. So that's perfect timing, uh, you know, because uh, we're brought to you by Miller Lite. Tastes like Miller time, Chicago. And that is uh, Dan Feeney's Miller time. Uh, impressions on Dan Feeney. I-, I don't know if you're able to hear him at the podium today, but uh, thinks he still has starter quality to him, can play at a high level at all three interior positions. Uh,
2: you know, and I agree with them. You know, the reason that Ryan Poles went out and searched a guy like that and even Matt Eberflus mentioned it is that he has that interior versatility. So if he has to come in at a moment's notice and play center or either guard, he can play the position equally as well. And that's a unique talent. And I think he has the right length for the position and he has a good understanding of the interior side of, of football. But they also made mention of of the five or six local guys that have they have on that team. You know, I like that pressure that it kind of puts on us as local guys because we have so many people surrounding us that are not only pulling for us, but they're asking questions. Why, how come, what's going on. And so it makes you, you know, have that sustained high level of performance. So I like it that we have these local guys. I'm glad Dan's here. I'm excited to meet him, and um, I hope his family really gets the opportunity to enjoy his career here in Chicago.
0: Yeah, folks out in Orland Park, he uh, went to Sandberg High School, friends with Michael Schofield, who talked highly about the Bears, highly about Justin Fields. Uh, Feeney also uh, sporting a mullet thanks to COVID, I guess, uh, decided to grow his hair and uh, – He's, he's, wor- did you have one?
2: No, but I, I was talking to Jay Hilgenberg
0: yesterday. It said
2: someone tweeted him saying it's the best mullet since Jay Hilgenberg. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Jay has him. I know we are talking, we'll talk about it before the Tampa game about what happened to Jay's mullet in the long haul. Oh, okay. And that's a story for a later podcast. So, We'll talk about it, but hey, if I had hair, I would probably have a mullet.
0: Well, you know, his favorite player, uh, thanks to uh, uh, just the excellence of this uh, unique player, the Hall of Famer, the greatest running back of all time, Walter Payton. Uh, you'll have to tell your story about getting in the huddle, in there, there stands Walter Payton and the awe that you had, uh, and that's something you can share to a player like Dan Feeney.
2: Yeah, I I would be excited to see it because, you know, being in awe of Walter from the outside in is a lot different than being in awe of Walter Payton from the inside in. In my first opportunity to stand in the huddle with him, I felt like that commercial where they have the adults that are acting and talking like kids, because (laughs) as as a semi-adult, when I stood in the huddle, I felt like that kid. I was so excited to see Walter Payton and to meet him and to be around him and to learn about his personality. And as an adult, one of the only autographs I've ever asked for is from Walter Payton of a picture of him and I as I was pulling out in front him and him behind me. And it's something I will cherish for the rest of my life.
0: Well, you got to get over that awe immediately, don't you?
2: no. No uh, you know hit uh, the awe inspired me because okay. you think about a play as simple as something called a slant 45 you know that the block you make is instrumental in walter payton having success so that kind of puts pressure on you. It's like the first time they put William Perry in the backfield and the play was directly behind Jay and I, and I said, if I don't get out of the way, William Perry is going to hit me right in the back (laughs) and it it could either take me out or I don't know what's going to happen. So it was probably one of the better blocks ever, but you know, guys like that, they, the awe inspires you.
0: Well, you, you didn't give me the whole play though. Isn't it slant 45 pinch OT?
2: No, 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 that's a whole different play. Slant oh. 45 is a basic off-tackle play that, uh, you know, Walter Payton uh, follows a double-team block between me and Van Horn, and then Matt Suey, the fullback, leads up to the second level, and you just try to get that impact zone created, and Walter does the rest.
0: This is Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak on Bears, et cetera. 512 players are on NFL practice squads today, and I know that makes you happy. Thrill Travis Bell's back. I'm thrilled uh, Simba Webster's back as a, as a guy that might find his way in the return game uh, if there are injuries. Micah Baskerville impressed uh, during training camp. Greg Strowman, another veteran, made a ton of plays during training camp. As you look at that list, anybody else stick out? And how do you feel about 512 players are making a pretty good payday on practice squads, even though they want to be on the active roster?
2: You know, I, you know, Carlson, the tight end, I'm interested in because I thought he was a good player throughout training camp. And you, we always talk about the injuries that can happen at the tight end position. So you have to take this job very seriously. You have to go out there and practice with the same intensity as if you are the starter for the team in the upcoming week. You have to live in the weight room. You have to pay attention to the meeting room. You have to do everything within your power to – when your number's called, you got to take advantage of that opportunity because a lot of these guys, before the season's over, we're going to be talking about them in game day uniform. So I like the chances for all of them. And like you mentioned, Travis Bell, he's got a unique set of, um, you know, qualities at the defensive tackle position that are just a little bit, a little different because he's maybe an undersized defensive tackle, but he plays with leverage. He's got unique speed. He's got a couple moves that I would like to see him be able to use, but every one of those guys in the practice squad, I pull for him because it's a great opportunity to be in the NFL.
0: And Bill Murray's on the uh, practice squad.
2: I, I saw that and it kind of made me chuckle because the last time that we were in New York, he was standing behind us while we were yep. doing our TV show.
0: Yeah, but uh do you know the about Bill Murray. Do you know about this guy's history though? He's from William and Mary. Played with the Patriots. He played defensive line and offensive line. So he was a defensive lineman in college. They moved him into a tackle position, but he could do both and at one point in a preseason game, he was a punt gunner. <laughs>
2: Well, you know what? Listen, uh, Big Cat Williams started as a defensive tackle, moved over and became an awesome offensive lineman for a double-digit career. Stan Jones, one of the greatest Chicago Bears in NFL history, was a seven or eight-time All-Pro at offensive line and defensive line for another seven years. So, you know, there's guys that have done it. You have to have a unique set of uh, qualifications that, you know, you can play both positions, but, hey, You know, congratulations to Bill Murray for cultivating both sides of the ball.
0: Score huge savings on an impressive lineup of items with Jewel Osco. For you, this handy app features hot digital deals on everything from premium produce and savory snacks to butcher fresh meat and more. Get additional details at JewelOsco.com. Ryan Poles, in less than 18 months, there's only 11 players left from the previous regime. Eight of them are starters. I mean, that's massive, and we knew this was going to happen, so this is not a shock And when you take over and things haven't gone well, this is what happens. But even looking at that in in those two years, not even two years, that's major change, a lot of transactions and more to come. Well, you know, Jeff, we we had
2: the a great chance to interview him on the last preseason game. And what are he and Ian Cunningham getting ready to do is go around and yep. scout a bunch of other college players. So this is a never-ending cycle. Whether you're looking at pro-caliber talent that are other teams and other practice squad that go through the cut system that you're looking at, maybe they can fit on your team, or if you're already forethinking about what you're going to need in next year's draft and you start putting these guys on the big board uh, from the college it's just a process that never starts but again that should be the motivator for the guys that are starters or on the tier of a backup because always know there's a guy somewhere in some place coming for your job so it's about how you work today that's going to keep you know is going to influence all coaches
0: we're brought to you by PNC official bank of the bears all right going to do a little packer talk here buddy Uh, Jordan Love, quote, we've kind of tailored the offense around the plays I like, things I like, and I'm sure that will carry on throughout the season. Uh, We're going to find out what those plays are. What do you suspect they will be? He had eight possessions in the preseason. Three of them ended in touchdown drives, one each to Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, their new rookie slot, and Christian Watson, the guy who came on strong last season.
2: I don't think it's going to be much different than what they saw from Aaron Rodgers. A little bit of movement, uses athleticism, you know. challenges accuracy, see how he reads at the line of scrimmage, and obviously the running game is going to play a significant role in this offense, but I guess the best person that you should interview for that question would be Luke Getze. What did you use in practice that he was the most familiar with that if you had to put him in the game, where is your comfort zone? So, you know, the Bears have a unique opportunity to interview a Coach, that's in the in their on their own team, but when you look at Jordan Love, they brought him here because he had a similar template of Aaron Rodgers, and he had the athleticism that you needed to run that system. So I don't think there's going to be much of a difference. It's just going to be inexperience versus the extreme experience of Aaron Rodgers.
0: All right, so you ask, um, I'm just saying this uh, hypothetically. Yeah, okay. Why do the Bears want to bring speed? Speed kills. You can't ever have too much speed. Uh, they bring on speed on both sides of the ball, but the Green Bay Packers have speed now. They have a lot yep. of speed, a lot of speed. Here are some of the numbers at receiver. Now you got Christian Watson at four three six, Jaden Reed four four five. Packers insist he was hand timed at four three seven, and Romeo Dobbs four four seven. Tight end Luke Musgrave by far much faster than the tight ends they had there last year at four six one. So you know, the defense will be ready to deal with that speed. you got to answer some physicality with that speed, beat them up a little bit at the line of scrimmage to slow things down, Tommy.
2: Yeah, you know, every single team across the board, whether we're talking about week one, two, or three, they're going to have speed at wide receiver. That is as impressive when you talk about 40 numbers. But how quickly can you make Jordan Love uh, process the thinking that he needs to go through after the ball is snapped. That's going to be the key ingredient. Is it possible to cover some of these four low 40 type guys for five seconds? No, it's impossible across the board in the NFL. But if you can make Jordan Love think at a 1.3 second or less, then you're going to put yourself in a winning position defensively. So, yeah, the, those 40 times are impressive but it's about what the front seven can do to confuse them and put pressure on them as immediately as you possibly can.
0: All right, as of Tuesday and all the moves that were made on the initial 50, Packers wound up being the youngest team in the league, average age of 25. Bears tied for 10th at 25.7. Most NFL teams are in that range of 25, getting close to 26. New Orleans is the oldest I think almost 28, but it's the youngest team in football coming into town for week one. Uh, A couple of other nuggets around the league. Uh, Minnesota investing a lot of money in TJ Hawkinson, highest paid NFL tight end in history. Four years, $68.5 million, uh, highest paid with an annual average just ahead of Darren Waller and George Kittle.
2: Thoughts? Uh, You know, it's big money. It's a big investment. You know, they have speed on the outside as well, and they have experience at the quarterback position. It's going to be interesting to see ultimately what they do at the running back position in terms of first and second tier, but uh, the tight end's going to have to have a big influence, both blocking and catching, and he's going to have to be uh, ready and available for all 17 games. He's had a couple of injury issues throughout training camp that you know you're going to have to pay attention to during the regular season, but That's a heavy-duty investment in the tight end position, especially when we talked about a little bit earlier, is sometimes you can lose man hours on the field due to injuries at the tight end.
0: Vizzy Hart-Seltzer, the official Hart-Seltzer of the Chicago Bears. Um, NFL mourning the loss of Gil Brandt. Uh, Gil, a Pro Football Hall of Famer, one of the architects of the Dallas Cowboys. Success uh, back in the day, vice president of player personnel there for 28 years. with Cowboys as an expansion team in 1960 came over from the L.A. Rams with Tex Schramm, who was outstanding, uh, pre-Cowboys with that Rams franchise, and then fired by Jerry Jones in 1989, but right. has has really uh, carried the, the torch for scouts. And you and I have met many in our career, you as a player as well as a broadcaster, uh, close friendships. We know uh, what that lifestyle is like. It's a constant, never-ending grind to be away from your family to find the next great Player or somebody who fits in your organization and, and the process never ends. Um, I have great respect for Scouts, great respect for what he accomplished and helped, you know, start NFL Radio on Sirius XM. He, he really was a big part of that in 2004 and uh, passed away at the age of 91 today. So uh, I, I don't know if you ever met the man or if you ran into him at all.
2: You know, through Mike Ditka, I had the opportunity to meet him a couple times, which I was really inspired because when I was a young kid coming up through the NFL, he's the guy that I really wanted to impress. Him, Jim Finks, Al Davis, guys that had such a strong voice in the NFL that if they had a high opinion of you, you felt like you could really become a player. But as I was watching some of the footage of him on TV today, The archaic scouting, like when I looked in behind him, he had hundreds of binders, and it's for different teams, different players, and you think of going page by page of your evaluation process, whereas now you click on your computer, and every single one of those hundreds of binders behind him were all into this compact screen. So from what Gil did to where scouting is now, he's a super influence on the scouts of today, but... The archaic way he went about it was the extreme. Yeah,
0: from what I understand, a lot of yellow notebook pads, that's for sure. But he's also credited with being uh, the first in the NFL to use computers to at least enter grades for prospects and also psychological testing, which is now uh, an automatic. I didn't know this. He was born in Milwaukee, went to Wisconsin, and his first job after college, Tom, was baby photographer
2: nice but you know one thing I did <laughs> see I saw a clip of him and he's going over one of the players evaluation and he's got this stamp and it says reject Oh boy. and he stamps it oh. and I couldn't I, you know I, I still got chills and I couldn't believe how demoralizing it would be if your name was at the top of that scouting uh, profile and all of a sudden boom reject on it and so oh my and, you know that's the reality of football from The 60s into today.
0: Right. No question about it. Uh, And interesting because you talk about all the camps you went to uh, when you came out of school and a part of your draft class. There were three camps. He was a driving force along with Shrimp to merge those three scouting combines into one to form what we now know is the National Scouting Combine. So...
2: When I came out of college, they had a combine in Detroit, one in Tampa, one in Seattle, and then they combined them all together, and that's what we know of today. But I think they do a better job of housing it in Indianapolis so all the players are together in one room at one time.
0: All right, we're going to wrap it up, Tom. Uh, Captains have been named. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, Eddie Jackson, DJ Moore, and Justin Fields. There will be an honorary captain each week, as Floose had a season ago. Uh, uh, Good choices across the board. Oh, no doubt. You know, these
2: guys are, all have experience. And what an impact that Tremaine Edmonds and DJ Moore must have made in the locker room and on the practice field to impress the players enough where they got voted in as captain. So um, I'm happy for them. And uh, I hope they have a strong voice and influence in the locker room in a positive direction. I right,
0: know I'm going to be a little mean. I'm going to get Get your dander up just in time to start pack a week after the Labor Day holiday. But I want to just put this in your mind so you can fester a little bit over the weekend. All right. I don't know what your plans are for the Labor Day, but so the Bears last beat the Packers in 2018. They got an eight-game losing streak. The Bears are four and 26 against the Packers in the last 30 meetings. I want you to stew on that a little bit, munch on it, get angry, and let's beat the Packers. How about you know
2: it? how you know how angry we are when we're leaving Lambeau Field <laughs> after a big loss? Yes. You just you just lit that
0: wick, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks. All right, you have a good Labor Day weekend, nonetheless. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe now on the Chicago Bears official app, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Bears Etc. Episode 12 with Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll talk to you next week.